This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za. Good afternoon to Good afternoon to all the listeners. Yeah, no one can. Man, no one no one can separate us. No one can come between us. You are mine. Yes. And I am yours. Is that Lord Jesus I want to tell you that I love you, but man, uh, you know, as a young person watching them, first of all thank you for for your time um how how's it going how are you doing Nosapolako, during this uh, difficult time yeah so mean we are in good spirit um the lord is with us, and indeed, it is a difficult season for many people um, that we know, and uh, some people really we don't know them directly. And uh, in so many ways, you you feel the pain and you share the pain, mm. um, even though something might not be happening to you directly. In many ways, it affects you mm. um, because you are human, and uh, you really do not wish for anything bad to happen to anyone. So. We equally we recognize that even at this time, you know, the Lord is still good. Yeah. Um, you know, the Lord is still working, and we are really seeing the fruits of the Lord's work in many ways. Yeah. And uh, in many other churches, and uh, and we continue to pray, mm. you know, for this virus to disappear. Yeah. I, I know. Your, I know your church has not yet gone back uh, to gather. Yeah. You know, you know, in a formal church setup, but. I've yeah. seen some of the work that you're doing, Nabanya Bazalwane, uh, <laughs> taking the church to the people. Kaspar Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's been there's been two ways. I think you know we know now that at least the um, the restrictions have been eased um, in some way, <clears throat> and uh, and so we are all we are all called to um, to the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And so really, what we've been doing is nothing special, and really been doing what all in fact, believers are doing and are called to do, which has been really to just proclaim and to preach the gospel. So we run what we call an open air meeting. Mm. And those who understand and know the history of George Whitfield, um, he's really, we would call the father of um, open air preaching of George Whitfield. And again, John Wesley also having followed him. And so really just been proclaiming the gospel and uh, and even in some ways praying for the sick. You know, I'm not saying, no, I'm not laying hands on all those things. He's not being laying hands for the sick. No, yeah. but, but really just, you know, over the mic, yeah. you know, praying for the sick, praying for the country, you know, uh, praying for the destitutes and, uh, and, and orphans and um, people are struggling, you know, losing their jobs and so forth. Mm. And so really it's been a time for us just to pray, just to preach, because this is what we have to know that the husband, there is no hope anywhere else apart from the gospel. Yeah. And that must be clear. Yeah. You know, hope is only found in the true gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. And when we preach that, um, I guess in some ways we are praying for the Lord to give hope to the hopeless, mm-hmm. but also to draw, according to John 6, to draw those that are far away from him, enable them to come to his truth and to be enlightened. And so really that's what we've been doing as a, as a church. Yes, it's correct. We have been gathered, mm-hmm. and uh, we thought it's not the time as yet. You know, this is, this is winter. 
Um, and so we thought, you know, strategically, this was the best time to gather. And uh, and uh, we are not in any way bashing those that are do gathering. Yeah. But we just feel on our side that um, it's not the best time. Right. He's a founder and pastor of the Fellowship Bible Church. He's on the line with us. And I'm uh, another topic at indwelling sin. Funis, man posinda magwe indwelling sin le ungati indwelling ngolizwe. Yeah, uh, thank you, Tadakasmini. Well, you already prescribed the text to me. <laughs> and uh, when you prescribed the text, it told me two things. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the first thing it told me that um, perhaps you might also be someone who um, believes in indwelling sin. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason, the reason I start that way, mm-hmm. okay, it's a weird way to start, but because the text you know, that we're going to be looking at today often is a difficult text, not, you know, also a text where many people have debated throughout centuries. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's known as a very difficult text in terms of interpreting it and in terms of working through it, even till this day. Mm-hmm. I want to say even till this day. And uh, scholars and big brains still do not agree on this text. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, I share um, definitely your, your, perhaps maybe, I would say your station's view on this, um, and uh, speak on the indwelling sin from Romans chapter 7. Now, let me, let me begin, let me go out a bit and then come in. Now, if you <clears throat> consider where this whole thing came from, particularly when you start to read the 15th and the 16th century, yeah. okay, there was a particular group that was known as the Puritans, and some people would know, what, know who they are, and perhaps have read some history of the Puritans. The Puritans were, in some ways, the reformers of England. Okay. okay? As we would know, Luther was the reforming Germany. And mm-hmm. so these guys, in some ways, were reforming, um, they, they were reforming England. In, in London in particular, but the whole of England. Yeah. And so they, they got to the term Puritans because, in some ways, they were purifying the church. Hence, they are called the Puritans. Okay. Okay. And there were a number of things that were happening there, the husband, is that the church, if you remember the history, the church has always been controlled by the state. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you would have a queen that, that, that is going to be um, installed in England, the queen would also want to have a view on how the church worships, mm-hmm. on the sermons that are being preached, and so the, he, the, the, the queen would be directly involved in the, in the state affairs or in the church affairs as well. Okay. And so the Puritans had a problem with this, and they were saying, this is a bad idea. You must separate the church and the, the, the state. Those things are not the same. Yeah. You can't run the state as though you're running the church. Yeah. And so they started to reform the church. And so one of the things that were coming after Hasmin was that they were saying that some of the practices and the ceremonies that were in place at that time were not biblical. Mm-hmm. They were not biblical. And in fact, they were contrary to the teaching of the Bible. And so they wanted to reform the church. And so one of the things that they looked at then was also the text, which is Romans chapter 7. Mm-hmm. And so the, when they're looking at Romans chapter 7, they're looking at it in two ways. Number one, they were not saying that, you know, you know, you know, you, know, you, you, are, believer, you are a believer now. Yes, you are positionally sanctified. In other words, you are positionally holy. But also there's this other part which is your progressive sanctification. In other words, you are being made holy. Okay. 
Okay? The first one, which is justification, you are declared holy. That is justification. You are declared holy. Sanctification, you are not declared. Rather, you are made holy. Okay. Must make, always make a distinction between the two. And so, and so the saying then, there is this other part. And then just to add to that before we get into the text, Martin Luther then also then coined um, a certain Latin phrase, um, which helped to define what we're talking about today. You know, he talks about what we call simul justus el pecato. And that phrase in Latin was to mean that even though you are sinners, sorry, just because you are saved, saved by Christ, redeemed by Christ, there is this indwelling sin. There is this uh, um, sin that remains. In other words, the power of sin has been broken. Okay? Mm-hmm. The power of sin no longer reigns in your life, but we have the presence of sin. Must always make a distinction. Okay. The power of it to fight it is broken, but its presence, its effect, remain with us. It mm. indwells mm. us, and we're gonna see that in many other texts. Mm. Okay? so that's the first part. So the text that you are you 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 asked me to look at. I'm just gonna read a few passages sure. because if I, it's gonna take us a lot of time to go through. It's a lot to get through, and I just want to touch on a few things today. So let me just take a few verses. Before, um, before I doubt in more. Verse 14, Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, so understand. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do everything I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. Uh, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells. Here's that word. Mm-hmm. The sin that dwells in me. Yeah. Uh, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Mm. For I do not do what is good, uh, what is good, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 20. Let's take, let's take just two more verses. Verse 20. Uh, rather, let's go to verse 21. So I find it to be the law... Um, that when I want to do right, evil is close lies at hand. Mm. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Verse 23, but I see in my members another war waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now I see that again, the sin that dwells in my members. Mm. Okay? Verse 25, thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind by my flesh, I serve the sin. Mm. Okay. Now, a few things that I want, to, I want to just highlight there within the time that we have. Number one, you're reading the text, you're finding a number of things already. This is someone in conflict. Yeah. Okay. This is someone who loves God. Yeah. This is someone who loves the moral law of God. This is someone who wants to obey the moral law of God. But when you're reading the text, you're finding that somehow this person is being pulled and pushed away from fulfilling that law. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's as if that sin is pulling that person. So in other words, their personal, their soul is being in conflict. There is a war, a spiritual warfare that is raging within their heart. In other words, we can call, it is called in this instance, there is a battle, there is a conflict. It is intense, and we see it from the very text. I do not do what I want to do. And so he even in verse 24, he says words like this, Oh, wretched man that I am. And, and, and that's a text in Isaiah, the word 
that Isaiah uses. Yeah. In other words, it's showing us there is this battle that is taking place from within, the battle of the sin that is dwelling in him. Yet, as a believer, the reason now there is contention around this particular text, many people believe Paul is writing from a pre-Christian state. But we don't think, I don't think that's true. No, Rather, we suggest that he's writing from a post-Christian mm. state. Mm. The language people are saying, if Paul is writing from a pre-Christian state, how can a believer be battling with sin like this? Yeah. Because this sounds like a carnal believer. Mm. This is someone like an unbeliever who is sold to sin. Mm. He even says, there's nothing good in me. And so the question we are even wondering, where is the evidence of the power of the Spirit? Mm. And so there are many of the things that when you're reading this text, but if you begin to read Romans um, carefully, from chapter 6 and, and chapter 7, you will begin to see that, in fact, he is addressing it from a post perspective, mm. because in chapter 6, he has addressed the new identity, the new nature, the newness in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so he speaks about sin again, not reigning in his life, but rather he's going to touch on the battle to which we have with sin. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if you read in chapter 6, it says, how shall we that have died or have lived in sin live in it any longer? He's drawing then a parallel. If, in other words, if you are saved, how can you then stay in sin? Yeah. What does that tell us? In other, words, they in other words, if you are a believer, you cannot stay in sin. But if you do stay in sin, it means that also implies that you are not a believer. So he is speaking from and exhorting them, but also reminding them that if you are a believer and have died to sin, then you cannot live in it any longer. Yes, there is a battle in us of this sin that wants to come out. Let me give you this example. Yeah. And this is an example I learned from John Piper. And one of the things, and you use this analogy, if you consider Peter, Peter is at this time the one who is with Jesus for three years. Yes. And in that three years, the, the Apostle Peter, we know what does he do? He denies Christ, right? Yeah. What do, we see in, what do we see in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 2, we see a man filled by the Holy Spirit. Yep. He preaches, and 5,000 people become Christians. Mm-hmm. They become saved. Okay? And then he says, notice what happens in Galatians. Now, when you go to Galatia and you speak to Galatians, the Apostle Peter is rebu- the Apostle Paul is rebuking Peter for his hypocrisy. And what is that hypocrisy? The Apostle Peter is no longer hanging out with the Gentiles. He's now hanging out with the Jews. Mm. And in fact, agreeing with the Jews that these guys must do certain ceremonies in order for them to be accepted in the Jewish context. And, and, and this is a helpful example. And so, in fact, what he's trying to show up there is that what Peter struggled with before, in terms of lying and fear, even comes after he is filled with the Holy Spirit, he still lies and he still sins. Mm. Okay? So, so even though he's a believer, there is a sin that is there. And so there is no perfection theology. Okay? There is no perfection. In, in other words, us having been um, just born again and we are perfect. Mm. And so if you read verse 18, for example, it says, then, then being made free. From sin, verse 22, but now being made free from sin and becoming servants of God. And again, that's what I was alluding to, that the power of sin, the power for us to yield to sin, the power of us to enjoy sin, the power of us to love sin, that power is gone. Mm. We now have the power to say no to sin, even though that, that presence of sin will still want to show its ugly head yeah. from time to time. Yeah. 
stop. Even though you 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 know you, you used to struggle quite a lot with lust before you were a believer. Yeah. And you find that even when you're still a Christian, you still struggle with lust. Mm. You know? And you think to yourself, perhaps maybe I'm not saved. Now, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not a Christian. No, mm. you are a Christian. But what will happen in, in, your, in, your old, in your old state, you will yield to your life. Mm. Now, in your post-Christian state, you don't yield to it. In other words, you fight it. Okay? You fight it. You contain yourself. You fight that lust. You fight that sin. You fight all those things that are go against the will of God in your life. And so if you see chapter 6 again, it says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Mm. And I'm running, out, I'm running out of time. I'm trying to move a little bit fast. We've, we've got five and minutes. So, we've got five minutes. Yeah, okay, Let, cool. I'm, I'm moving a bit fast. Okay, so, so the point that has been of indwelling sin, the, the, the indwelling sin therefore means it is, even though the power of sin is broken, we still have its presence, we still have its effect. Mm. Okay, why? Because we live in the flesh. And the flesh will call that which is of the flesh, of the flesh. That's why there is this tension. There is this battle. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. I delight. He says, I delight in this thing. But even though he delights in this thing, he's saying evil is at present. So he delights in the law of God, yeah. but also evil is right present next to the law of God. Okay? And so, and so that is what he's trying to show. He wants to do the will of God. And he even says there is nothing good. Not even one. Mm. And so there's this language of tension yeah. that we are beginning to see from the Apostle Paul. And he says in verse 15, I hate it. Now, I hate it. Even says those words, I, I want to do good. Mm. Now, why do we say this is written from a, from a post-Christian uh, uh, conversion yeah. um, perspective? It is because an unbeliever cannot love the law of God. Yes. An unbeliever cannot yes. yield towards the, the law of God. It is impossible. Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. a Christian is able to love the law of God. Only a Christian is able to yield to the law of God. What Paul is beginning here is beginning to identify the, those um, those traces of sin, of indwelling sin in his own life, and the battle. And guess what? That battle he is talking about, it is the same battle we also face yeah. even to this day. Yeah. We are equally the sons of Abraham. No, we are equally inherited Adam's sinful seed. Mm. You know, he, you know, even though we have we have passed from death to life, but we have inherited that. Yeah. And so it, it, it is it is always one to show itself in our lives one way or the other. But let me close with this, you know, but we don't have enough time. Let me just close with this to say then, and the words where John helps us to understand this. If then you are a true believer, you will not then dwell into sin, even though there is an indwelling sin. In other words, the character of a true believer is the one who does not he, who does not um, live or um, or yield towards sin or sin habitually. Mm. If I may use sure. that term, yeah. we yes. do not. Mm. A believer will struggle with sin, and let me say that as many sometimes they will even give in. Mm. They will. Sometimes you will tell a lie you're not supposed to tell. Mm. Sometimes you will do things you are not supposed to do. But here is the difference. Sin does not become normative for a believer. Mm. They continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So our behavior patterns begin to change. Okay? We, we, the, the former ways of doing things begin to change yeah. now that we are children of the Most High God. So a true 
um, child of God does not continually yield towards sin. They live a life of repentance. Um, they live a life of devotion to God because they know that the traces of sin are there. Mm. And I wish I had enough time to, to go slowly toward this, but also to just delve in it. But there's so much that I think we could say as we look at Romans chapter 7. Mm. But what we need to know, this is not from a pre-Christian perspective, it is from a post-Christian perspective. And in fact, I would recommend two, two resources for anyone to read on the subject. I would recommend John Owen, who writes the, uh, the book, um, uh, The Mortification of Sin. I would also recommend John Owen, Temptation, as it delves into the indwelling sin and its roots in the Christian life. I think, I think this, th- thanks for thanks very much. And I think this is important because I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm just thinking back in, in my early Christian life where, you know, w- such teachings were not there. I mean, listen, I found this one. Can you talk about so much I think a lot of people got lost in the way because you're touching on a very sensitive point that you know anymore because one there's self condemnation and also there's condemnation around when the enemy is always looking at a way and we must yes. be aware and I think also I like the comments you did just before Val Paul was grappling with this thing because deep down is drawing towards the will of God but then there's this presence of sin that is constantly around and I think for me this was a worthy conversation that was an important conversation and I appreciate your time for this no, thank you so much, Dr. Hasmin. Just like last remark there, mm-hmm. um, you, know, you know, consider Ephesians 1. You know, what is the purpose of that salvation? Mm-hmm. When God, you know, in Ephesians 1, verse 2 to 3, and that verse in verse 4, I think it closes by saying, to be blameless and holy. Mm-hmm. So, so the whole part is that people are not saved simply because they were smart, because they did anything. Mm-hmm. The, the, this salvation and election in chapter, in chapter 1 of Ephesians is because of that you may be holy and blameless. Yes. What do we see the Apostle Paul writing in the book of uh, Romans, you know, he's saying being conformed into the image of God. Mm. And that is a process. That is sanctification, moving towards being, being conformed, moving towards 
that holiness, that standard of Jesus Christ himself. And so it, is, it would be unbiblical for us to think that we are there yet. Mm. Otherwise, then you need to go to heaven now sure. if you are there yet. Mm. But not, none of us are believers there. And so we, we, we are on that journey of being there. We are fighting off things. We are in a spiritual warfare. We are fighting the flesh. The flesh is pulling what way. The spirit is pulling what way. But we don't listen to the flesh. We listen to the spirit. Mm. Well said, yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I appreciate your time, Tadaman. Sure, thank you. Thank you so much for the question. Blessings. Right. For this Eric Tim Fellowship Bible Church out in Kailicha. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 729 AM. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za.